Welcome to the Memorial Sermon Podcast. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your walk with God and drive you closer to Jesus. For more information about our church, visit mbcmetairie.org. Now, here's this week's message. If you got your Bible, I want you to turn with me this morning to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. I have loved going through this with you. I prepare for my sermons. I prepare for my time. And I'll be sitting at the desk. I'll be sitting at my computer with all of my study notes open. And I get fired up. I mean, I get fired up, and this was one of those weeks that I'm just sitting at my desk, I'm reading God's Word, I'm reading this passage, and He's just burning in my heart about uh, the message that we have for us today. So I really want to encourage you, if you have a physical Bible, that's great, because maybe you can, you know, make make some notes outside, uh, to, to the side. Hopefully you were able to get a, a set of notes on your way in. If you weren't, you can also go to our website, nbcmetary.org, you can get the notes uh, in the resources tab right there. Uh, if you're watching with us online, then you can get your notes right there as well. And so I want to encourage you uh, to do that so that you can follow along. One of the things that, that we have, I think I might even have one here in mind. Yeah. Hopefully on your way in, you were able to see that we have some small group devotion notes. I'll be talking a little bit more about this in just a second, but this gives you an opportunity not just to, to leave what we talk about here Today, this gives you an opportunity to walk through this with someone that maybe it's your husband or your wife or, or maybe there's a group of, of folks that like to get together for coffee and, and that you can walk through, uh, this, uh, even, even this week. And so I'll be chit chatting uh, a little bit more about what we can do with that even in the upcoming new year. Today, I want to talk to us about running toward danger. Running toward danger. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 14. We're going to be in just nine verses, verses 21 through 28 this morning. We'll get there in, in just a second. But, um, you know, I have to, have to make this. I made, I actually made some controversial statements last week. And so, um, there's a lot of controversial statements. I got overwhelming emails and phone calls, but, um, I stand by what I said. I stand by the, the truth of it, and uh, one of those things was that I said that uh, Disney World is not a relaxing vacation, and I stand by that word. I got folks that said, no, you got to love it, no, so at least they were listening, and that's good that, that, you are, that you are listening, and I still stand by that Disney World is not a relaxing vacation. I'll tell you some other controversial statements later on as we dive in here today. I want to show you something up here uh, on the screen. There's a, there's a book that my daughter has. And uh, it's called The Circus Ship. Some of y'all might know this. Miss Marilyn, do you know this book? Have you ever heard of The Circus Ship? Okay, she's one of our pre-K-4 teachers here at Memorial. This is one of my daughter's favorite books. And, and it's the story of a circus ship. And they're, they're sailing um, around the coast, around uh, uh, the state of Maine. And they are going to, from one show to the next. And they have, um, uh, they have a, a person who's in charge who's just pretty much just, just killing the whole circus. You know, he's just keeping them going. They're constantly moving. They're constantly working, working the animals. And, uh, and so there's a storm that takes place in the ocean. And, and he's saying, the, ca the captain of the ship saying, we got to stop. We got to, you know, put our anchor down. And he's saying, no, we got to keep going. And so what happens is they, they actually wreck and all the animals are out there. We'll go ahead. Yeah. And so all the animals are out 
They're all in the water, and so they begin to wash up to shore on the, on, on the side of, of Maine here. And as they go up on the shore, there's this small town right there, and all these animals just begin to infiltrate the town. And as they infiltrate the town, you, you probably won't be able to see it, but you're seeing like up there, see all those little bubbles? You're having all these comments from the, the people and just saying, oh, this is a disaster. We have all these circus animals. We have all these random animals and they're just tearing things up. They're trampling people's stuff. They're, they're tearing, you know, you can't put out your laundry on the line. They'll eat it. You know, you just got all these different things and they're just thinking how horrible this is, and this goes on for a while. I won't read to you the whole book until something happens. One night, there's a fire, and little Emma Rose, who's one of the little girls who lives in this town, gets caught in one of the barns there. And because of that, no one knows what to do. They're afraid that, you know, if I run in, then, then two of us might die. And there was a tiger, of course, you probably know, the tiger who had jumped through fire many times, many ways. And, and so he doesn't think anything about this. And, and so he just jumps right into this burning barn. And I don't know if you can see it on this next slide. We'll put this up here. And then when he comes out, you can see, oh, there's a little bit of glare from, from the page. But little Emma Rose is on his back and he comes out. And he puts himself in danger. He runs towards danger. And because he does that, this is amazing. I'll show you the next slide. Is that because of that event, the whole town changes the way that they look at these animals because he had ran into danger. And, and let me just tell you something. There's something about someone running into a dangerous situation for the good of others it shows the extent that someone is willing to go because they love or care about someone else. And as I read this passage, what we're going to be looking at today, this story came to mind because Paul and Barnabas are going to be running in to danger. We, we've had this map, and you got this map on the back of your notes. This will probably be the last week that I put this in here because this will wrap up uh, Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey. But they start right here. In Antioch, they come down to Cyprus, and then they go up into uh, these other cities up here, and that's really the, the, the area of Galatia. If you know the book of Galatians, I'll tell you a little bit more about that here in just a little bit. But they go from Perga to Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. We saw that, that the apostle Paul was stoned and left for dead. And so as he does that, then they go on today and they will uh, be in Derba. But you know what? If I had had been on this missionary journey, and if all those things had happened to me, I would have thought, you know, it's about time to go home. And in fact, that, that was actually something that was quite feasible. Look at the, up here, you've got that little arrow up there. That is, where that little dot is, right there, that little yellow dot, is where Tarsus is. Tarsus was Saul's hometown. And so if he wanted to call it quits, he could have gone home. 
He could have gone into Tarsus and then made his way into Antioch. He's about 150 miles away. And so here, Paul is able, you know, if he really wanted to, he could have gone home. But instead, he runs into danger. He goes back through those places. And that's where we're going to pick up right here in Acts chapter 14. And we're going to start right here in verse 21. And we're going to go through verse 28. And it says this. After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. They didn't go away. They didn't go home. They went back through those places that they had been thrown out. They went back through those dangerous places that they had just been. Verse 22 says, Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith by telling them it's necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. And they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And after they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from there, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for their work that they had now completed. After they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them and that, and that, they had, that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they spent a considerable amount of time with the disciples. And so this wraps up, this wraps up their journey together. And, and I, I have this quote that's in your, that's in your notes, but it's, it's by John MacArthur. We might go back to that. And it says this, that Paul and Barnabas revisited the three cities that they had come from. Such visits were fraught with danger. They knew, however, that it, was, that it was far more dangerous for those new flocks not to be strengthened. Do you see this? That they are going back. They are going back. They're going the long way home. They're going long way to, to their home church because they, were, they believed something so core to them that they were willing to risk their very lives. And I said, what did they believe? What did they, what, did, what was inside of them that, that they were willing to risk it all in order to, to go back the long way? Instead of just saying, let's call it quits. Let's just be honest. In this day and age, if there's an evangelist who comes through a, a particular town, a lot of times they'll go to this church, they'll go to that church. Some people might get, get saved and get baptized. And then that person rolls on. But what made them to say, you know what, I'm going to preach the gospel, see people come to know them as their Lord and Savior, but then I'm going back, even into the places where I was stoned and left for dead. What would make a man, what would make a woman do that? And so if you've got your notes, I think this is so important for us to walk through, that they had shared the gospel, people got saved, some people rejected, but it wasn't time to move on. And here's what I want us to see, is the, the three things that I have picked out in this, is that the first one is that we, we have to be willing to risk our lives the same way that they risk their lives to develop an ecosystem of biblical literacy. Biblical literacy. If you look right with me in verse 22, 21, let's just go back and just says, after they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Those are those dangerous towns, strengthening the disciples strengthening the disciples those three words have hit me right between the eyes all week long what does it mean to strengthen the disciples 
it means for them to, to help them understand the word, to help them understand God's truth and how it applies to their life. And, and you see that, that I've used this word ecosystem. I could have used the word environment, um, but I felt like ecosystem was better because ecosystem literally means this. It's a community of interacting organisms and their physical environment. And I thought, what a beautiful word to say, we are a community of interacting organisms and that God has called us to do these things and that we want to develop this kind of, of church ecosystem. Uh, and so this has just been on my heart all week long. And so what is this, what does this mean? What does this mean that Paul would run back into this dangerous territory? And it's simply this, that they want the people to know the word. Later on, the apostle Paul is going to write the book of Galatians. If you know anything about the book of Galatians, there is no church of Galatia. Some of the other books, you have the book of Ephesians in your Bible. That's written to the church of Ephesus. There's a city called Ephesus. It's in modern, in, uh, modern day Turkey is where it is now. But he wrote it to a specific church. You've got a church in Corinth, okay? And so he writes to the specific church in Corinth. Galatia, Galatians, is not written to a specific one church. It's written to a series of churches in the region of Galatia. It just so happens to be the same churches that we're talking about today. The ones in Perga and Lystra and Iconium and Derba. And the reason that Paul writes that book, if you know much about the book of Galatians, is because they began to stray from the word. They began to say that you can get saved, and, and but, but your salvation is, yes, God's grace, but you've also got to mix it with a few works. And they had some specific things that, that they were trying to mix, so they were trying to earn their salvation. And the apostle Paul actually says, did I waste my time on you? Did I waste my, when I went back, I ran into danger to teach you about these things. Tell me I didn't waste my time on you. And that's why this is so important, this biblical literacy. And so as I thought about this, you know, one of the reasons I'm getting so excited about this new year is because uh, I, we've been held back, we've been pushed back, and I feel like we're getting ready to be released. Uh, we're going to have some classes on Sunday morning. Classes on Sunday morning. Uh, we talk about um, our, our little sheet right here. And this is going to guide our time come January where we're going to be able to have some adult classes in the morning um, where we're going to be able to, to get into the word and open up the message and be able to ask questions and apply it to our life. And that's going to be uh, around 915 on Sunday morning starting in the new year. We also have our 222 classes that are coming back. We've been working very hard. Francine Weisberg has been helping me uh, to develop these even more and more. And so we're going to be rich digging into God's word. We're going to have child care during that time. It's going to be a, a time where uh, the kids, there's actually something I was telling a, a group of folks this morning uh, called, there, there's a cartoon called Superbook. Okay. If you're a parent, you probably know of, of Superbook, but uh, there's a cartoon called Superbook and we're going to create a Superbook Academy for the kids on Sunday. Sunday morning. It's going to be great. It's going to be modeled after a theater, you know, so you're going to be able to watch this and then be able to, to discuss it amongst themselves.
themselves and be able to do some crafts along with it. Again, all of this is to develop God's word. I was with, with a group of, of, of adults this morning. We were having a Sunday school class and we talked about the importance of planting the seed in people, young people, older people, that everyone. And let me tell you, that that seed is so important. Our kids will be doing MKU and MTU and Bible drill as we move into the new year. But why do I tell you all of those things? You're like, man, this sounds like a big commercial. I promise you. The reason that we do all these things is not just so we can have these weekly events It's so that we can be a church who's got an ecosystem of biblical literacy. Paul and Barnabas were passionate enough about this that they were willing to risk their lives. God, help us if we're not passionate about the same thing. God, help us. And so for us, that we want to be passionate about these things. I was meeting with a group of guys this week just to kind of share with this. And uh, my conversation with one of them just really resonated with me. He said, he said, Dan, I, I grew up in church and, you know, I learned God's word as a child. And he says, I got older, I, I went off the deep end. And as his testimony goes, it just got into drugs and gambling. It, it was just, it was just a mess. And let me tell you, he is reaping the consequences of that. Sometimes we talk about these testimonies and we say that someone's got an amazing testimony who went through drugs and sex and gambling and all, all these kinds of things. And, you know, sometimes you might feel bad, you know, cause you're like, well, I don't have a testimony like that. God didn't save me out of that. Good. Man, my seven-year-old daughter got saved this year, and, and let me tell you, I am so glad that her testimony is, I grew up in church, I realized I was a sinner, and I came to Christ, because she doesn't have all the wreckage that goes behind that. Don't ever be ashamed of your testimony if that's it. Don't ever say, well, I don't have a testimony like them, so no one will ever listen to me. That's hogwash. But nevertheless, I'm sitting here, and I'm talking to him. And he's telling me about all this wreckage that he's still having to deal with even to this day. And he said, I'm so glad that when I was a young boy, I went to church and had the seed of God's word. It lay dormant for years, but finally it began to grow. Finally it took root. Finally it happened. That's why we do what we do. It's because even if someone goes way off in left field, that we have established an ecosystem of biblical literacy. So it looks like that. Another example that, that I would give of, and, and I think right here that they're, they're going through, they're going through all these different towns, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples. As they were doing that, I, I thought about how, you know, even if, You know, God's seed is in us, but we also need to grow each and every day. Each and every day, this ecosystem. We need to be in God's word. We need to be encouraging other with, with God's word. And, uh, and, and so, Ed, I actually thought of you this week, uh, being a, a pilot, um, when uh, I was thinking about a p- specific example that I was reading of, of, a, of a man who got up in the clouds and he said, oh, I'm gonna go through this cloud. And he thought it was a small cloud. And, uh, and so as he's getting ready to, to, to go through this cloud, he, he gets into it and he realizes this is a little bit bigger than I thought it was going to be. And so he begins to kind of lose his, his bearings a little bit. And, uh, and he says, well, I feel like I, I need to pull up. Maybe I can get over this cloud. And so, so he pulls up. But then as he begins to pull up, he gets a little disoriented. And he doesn't, 
He said, am I, am I sideways? Am I upside down? He said, he said I, I, don't, I don't know. And apparently this is kind of a thing that can happen, you know, that you can just get disoriented if you can't see what's up and what's down. And, but then he said, I need to look at my instruments. They've been trained to look at their instruments. And because right there he had his instruments and it said that he was right side up, but he felt like he was upside down. But because he trusted his instruments, that if he, had, if he thought that it was a different way, he could have pulled the wrong way and, and wound up crashing. But because he trusted the standard, even though he couldn't see, it saved his life. Do you see how this works? Even when we can't see what's going on in our lives, even when we can't understand the situation or the circumstances, everything is cloudy and foggy. Have you ever felt like that in your life? Don't know the direction to go. It's just a big fog. I'm just gonna keep going. And what is our instrument? What is the thing that, that guides us and helps us to, to stay level? It's God's word and we trust it relentlessly. We trust it relentlessly and it saves our lives. So good for us to walk through this so that we wanna develop an ecosystem of biblical literacy. All right, well, that brings us into number two, okay? So they're willing to risk their lives for an ecosystem of biblical literacy. Number two, write this down, that we have to be willing to risk our lives as well to develop an ecosystem of nurturing community. Nurturing community. And so you have right there in verse 22, we read the beginning, strengthening the disciples. Now look at this, the second part of that verse. By encouraging them to continue in the faith. So they're encouraging them to continue in the faith. And then they kind of, they bring reality into it. A lot of times when, when we think of encouragement, you know, a lot of times when I think, you know, patting somebody on the back, something like that. But they're going to be honest about the reality here. I mean, let, let's follow along where, where it says, it says, it's necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So they're not going to sugarcoat this. They're going to say, look, this is that sometimes there are, there are hardships and they're going to be encouraging them. And I love this word encouraging. This word encouraging that you have right here in the text is packed with meaning. If you got your notes, you know, I don't have a blank for this or anything, but you might, you might consider writing some of these things down. It literally means to call someone to your side, to call someone to your side, to Speak to them, to exhort them, even to admonish them. Sometimes there's times that you and I go on off in left field and someone comes along us and, and says, look, this is not God's best for your life. And it's maybe might not be something that we want to hear, but it's something that we need to hear and we need to hear with humility, that nurturing community that takes place. Here, here's the really cool part about this particular word is that it's the Greek word parakaleho, okay? And you think, okay, Pastor Dan, I didn't go to seminary. I have no idea what that means, okay? Parakaleho is the same word that we have in John chapter 14, paraclete, uh, Greek word paraclete, that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit. Check that out. The same word that he uses to describe the Holy Spirit, he says in John 14, he says, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. He said, I'm going away. I'm gonna ascend, I'm going away. I'll come back, but I'm going away. 
And when I go away, I'm going to send to you the paraclete, in many translations, the comforter. That's another form of of encouragement, is being a comforter. He says, and so I'm going to send the paraclete. He's going to come over on you and that you are going, that he is going to bind to you and to walk through this life. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you by yourself. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the paraclete. You and I are called to bind to one another the same way the Holy Spirit binds to a Christian. That's good. That's a great word that we encourage one another. We're encouraging each other. We're becoming each other's advocate. We're holding each other accountable. And we're not doing it in a a mean way or, you know, keeping someone under under our thumb or in a religious way. We do it because of one reason, because we see what each other is capable of. We are not called to tear each other down or to be self-righteous. Well, I'm here. Why aren't you there? You know, that kind of thing. But we see the value. Man, God wants to use you in a powerful way. And so we put our arms around each other, not in any type of competitive way, but because we say, I see how God wants to use you. So we become this ecosystem of a nurturing community. Now, I told you that I, that I had some controversial statements last week, okay? I told you that I didn't think uh, Disney was very relaxing. Um, I'm going to make some other controversial statements um, this morning. Uh, I, I, I don't like pumpkin spice. I, I'm just, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of pumpkin spice. I, I know it's out this season. Um, maybe the smell, not the, the taste, whatever. Uh, also, I, I can't stand to watch horror movies. I am not a horror movie fan. I'm just, I'm just not into that. You know, I know this is like that season that people do that kind of stuff. Um, it, it's, it's partly because some of them are just gross. They're just gross. And, uh, and some of them are just, you know, demonic. And, and I tell my girls, I said, once you've seen something, you can't unsee it, you know? And so there, there's a, there's a part of that. But, but it's also because I think, I think horror movies are dumb. I mean, do, do you feel, can you resonate in your heart with how dumb, there's these killers running around taking people out and it's so dumb. They're running up the stairs. I'm like, run up the stairs? Run out in the yard, get away from the, get away from these folks. As I, as I thought about this kind of stuff and, and I promise I'll bring this home, okay? There's a, there's a point to all this. But you know, you know what I want to see? I want to see a movie where a psycho takes on a platoon of Navy SEALs. Because Navy SEALs wouldn't put up with that nonsense. I mean, that kind of movie, that would be like a five-minute movie, don't you think? It'd be five-minute, you know? And, and, and why? Because these guys are trained. These guys have each other's back. They work as a team, and so homie doesn't stand a chance. And so for us, as I thought about that, I thought, you know, isn't that how the devil works? He gets us alone gets him alone. He gets us filled with fear and discouragement. He makes us frantic. I want to be a part of a nurturing community and a nurturing community, an ecosystem of a nurturing community. They know the word. They can't be divided. And they're encouraging one another and they're running into danger. They don't make movies where killers are are going after Navy SEALs because that just wouldn't work, folks. What would happen if we were like that 
understanding God's word, having each other's back when it comes to the devil. Don't you see? Don't you see how a nurturing community, God uses it for his glory? That's why Paul and Barnabas were willing to risk their lives in order to develop a nurturing community because they knew that that unified community, man, that, that hell itself couldn't overcome when God is in the midst of it. The third thing that I want you to write down this morning is that we have to be willing to risk our lives to develop an ecosystem of godly leadership, an ecosystem of godly leadership. Now, this is important because I think we can understand the strengthening, you know, I think that we can, the biblical literacy, I think that we can understand the, the encouraging, you know, that nurturing community, but this one might catch us off guard. We might think, man, would you really risk your life to put godly leadership in place? I mean, wouldn't you just want to encourage and then move on? Look at this. It says when they, in verse 23 of chapter 14, it says when they had appointed elders, they risked their lives to appoint elders. For them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Do you see it? They risked their lives to put godly leadership in place. Now, I think about this in, in different areas of life. I think about how so important it is to have godly leadership in the family. As much as it have godly leadership in the church. Think, think about that. If, if there's one thing that I think is detrimental when it comes to a family, particularly a family, is when I see this thing that, that is commonly called free-range parenting. Have you heard of this? Free-range parenting. You know, you just let the kids run around and they'll figure it out. Have you ever been to a restaurant where you had someone that had some free-range parenting skills? Not, not skills, okay? Just, you know, and, and the kids are just going crazy. There's... This, this idea of free-range parenting, and I, and I don't want to harp too bad on this because I know we all kind of struggle as parents. We all have, you know, the different things with our kids. I, I, I get it. You know, you, you walk out of the hospital with a baby, and, and there's no manual, per se, you know, of how, of how to do this. But you are called to be their parent. In that, that ecosystem, you're called for that, that sense of godly leadership. I was thinking about our school here. We had, we had volleyball this past week. We had a flag football game this past week. And it was so much fun to watch. It was so cool to see the coaches out there. And I was thinking about, you know, even, even you, Coach Jet, as I was thinking about, you know, no coach goes out with his players and says, okay, you guys practice however you want, you know? No coach does that. No coach just says, all right, you guys, all right, whatever play you feel is best, you know, whatever you think gets the job done. That's a bad coach, right? And by the way, Coach Jed doesn't do that. He's an incredible coach. And so he's teaching them the fundamentals. Uh, our volleyball coach teaching them the fundamentals. It's fun to go out there and watch. I had the opportunity to go out and watch him even this past week of just the, those, those times together. And, and so I, I think about this even in, in my own life. When I, was, when I grew up, I wanted to play basketball in the eighth grade. I had had no coaching. No one had shown me this. I didn't make the team. I didn't make the team because I never had someone to coach me along, someone to show me along. Now, I want you to bring this back to the church. This is what elders are to the church. This is what elders are. They are the father figures of the flock. They are the coaches. And in biblical times, they were considered the shepherds. So grasp this. Paul and Barnabas risked their lives to put shepherds into place. They risked their lives to put elders into place because they knew that when godly men lead, that the church thrives. 
When godly men lead, the church thrives. And, and I think about the characteristics of a, of a godly man. They provide, they teach, they protect. They, you know, you think of that in terms of a shepherd, they get the wolves out, they get rid of them. They push you to be all that you are called to be and, you know, to go beyond the status quo. And, and here's the point that I want to make is that I, it's not to say that God can't use godly women. I don't want anyone here to say, well, Pastor Dan, you talked mostly about godly men. I'm not saying that God can't use godly women. He does all the time. But what we know that our world needs and that churches need is father figures, godly men, godly leaders. And I saw something even this past week that I want to I want to prove it to you. We're going to in just a second I'm going to show you just show you a video that shows what happened even in society what happens when godly men step up. Brian, will you run this video for us? When the SOS went up at a troubled school, who answered the call? A bunch of DADs. Here's CBS's Steve Hartman on the road. Not many good news stories begin in such a bad news way. It happened last month here at Southwood High School in Shreveport, Louisiana. Plagued with violence. Over the course of three days, another fight. 23 students arrested for fighting. Massive police response. But strangely, there hasn't been another incident since. Perhaps in part because of this most unusual crisis intervention team. Nobody here has a degree in school counseling. No majors in criminal justice. No, no. Your qualifications are? With dads. We decided the best people who can take care of our kids are who? For us. So Michael Lafitte started Dads on Duty. We're out doing what we do for our babies. A group of about 40 Southwood dads who now hang out at the school in shifts. Let's go. Today, any negative energy that enters the building has to run a gauntlet of good parenting. What's going on, buddy? You moving fast. I like that horse. I immediately felt a form of safety. We stopped fighting, people started going to class. How could that be? You ever heard of a look? A look? <laughs> Dads have the power to do that? Yes. <laughs> not many people know it, but yes. <laughs> let's go, let's go. But it's not just the firm stares and stern warnings. Let's make it to class, my son. It's also the dad jokes. <laughs> they just make funny jokes like, oh, hey, your suit's untied, but it's really not untied. <laughs> and they hate it. They're so embarrassed by it. <laughs> And it's that perfect mix of tough love and gentle ribbing that dads do so well that has helped transform this school. The school has really just been like happy and you can feel it. Which is why the dads plan to keep coming to Southwood indefinitely. Because not everybody has the father figure, the father figure at home. Or a male period in their life. Like so that. just to be here makes a big difference. Do you think you stumbled onto something here? Absolutely. 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 Yeah. Have a good morning. They'd like to start chapters of Dads on Duty throughout Louisiana. What's up, big boy? And hope to eventually take on the country. All right. Without a fight. <laughs> Steve Hartman, on the road, in Shreveport, Louisiana. Do you see why Paul and Barnabas were willing to risk their lives to put leadership in? 
It, it, it works in the world. He says, do you think you stumbled onto something? A biblical principle that was already there, and they stumbled on it. This is what elders are to the church. That's why Paul and Barnabas risked their lives to establish them. Next week, we've got Austin Smith, who's, who just so happens to be a dad, you know, who I already believe is doing the work of an elder, and he's going to come to us next week, and, and he's going to share with us the word, and I can't wait to hear what he has to say because because you know he I'm excited about me being shepherd in that sense of just not just being one person but a plurality of leaders and he could shepherd me too and so this brings me to to what we are where, where do we land with all this we have this ecosystem, this, this ecosystem of biblical literacy, nurturing community, and godly leadership. How do we bring this all together? I think it's simply this, that we are on the edge of something. I think that we have, feels like we have lost a year and a half, two years, whatever you want to call it, and that we are on the edge of, of breaking forth in something brand new. And when I read this passage, I said, that's what I want in Memorial Baptist Church an ecosystem of biblical literacy, nurturing community, and godly leadership. This foundation that Paul and Barnabas, they, they risked their lives and they were committed. Jesus Christ died on the cross, resurrected from the dead, but now it's time to build on top of that foundation. And this is a part of what that is.